everybody. My name is Ashley. I am a second year intern here at the New Life Church Network. And just in these past two years of ministry, I have gleaned so much experience and wisdom. And I'm just so grateful to serve a church uh, that is as loving as you guys. You guys have supported me alongside my journey of ministry, and I wouldn't trade you guys for the world, and you guys have helped me more than you guys could ever know, so thank you. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to start my message today. Um, God has really placed on my heart uh, something to speak to you guys, and I'm really excited to share with you guys. The, the title of my message is Start to Finish. Start to finish. All right, so the which came first, the chicken or the egg debate, really gets you thinking on how everything had to start somewhere, right? And legend has it that the most iconic chips, hot Cheetos, all right, that this had its start through a janitor working at Frito-Lay. Who knew, right? And, sorry, before I move on, I gotta say, it's taken a lot of willpower for me not to eat these, because um, I was like, I gotta save it for this three-second illustration I'm gonna do right now, so now I got a little snack. Anyway, so, um, they also say that Steve Jobs, he started his company, Apple, in a garage, and the chicken did not come first, and I'm sorry to break it to you, neither did the egg. They both had to start somewhere. I think one of the most simple yet challenging things to do in the world is to start. And all of the procrastinators in the room said amen. <laughs> but after, after I began the process of preparing and writing this message, all that could run through my mind was, where do I start? I know God has brought both you and me right here for a reason. For such a time as this, there's no coincidence that I'm here preaching this message for you. And you guys are sitting here, you know. So me being a planner and all, I wanted to know how this would look to the exact detail, okay. And that in itself is really overwhelming because I felt like I had no clue where to start. I kept thinking to myself, there's so many things I could say, so many topics to discuss. What do I wear? What jokes do I tell? And as silly as it sounds, the more I kept traveling down that rabbit hole, the farther and farther I actually got from starting. And uh, that was that, at that point, I was like, I got down on my knees, I started to pray and ask God the answers to all the questions I've been having. And this was his response. He simply said, just start with me. Start here. So let's start, shall we? Would you please open your Bible tonight to John chapter 1? So if you have a physical Bible, if you're going to read the Bible on your phone, we also have the words up on the screen for you guys. So whatever works best for you, we're going to be reading out of the New International Version tonight. So if you would just flip there to John chapter 1, I would really appreciate it if you guys could follow along with me. And it's just really important that we get into the Word together because we got to let it sink deep into our hearts, right? Alright, so John chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was in the beginning. He was in the start. Through Him all things were made. You and I, the beauty of creation, all of it was through him. He started it all. You know, I came to tell someone today that in every aspect of your life, you need to start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. How many of you know that if you start well, the more likely you are to finish well? Right? Logically speaking, if you get a head start on something, you're probably going to finish a lot quicker than if you would have started later. And if you're ahead of the game now, you're probably going to stay ahead of the game, right? You know, the start... 
The start is really emphasized in the world of track and field. Who in here likes track and field or running in general? All right, my people. I just saw my dad's hand. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm his daughter. I don't know. Okay, an equally valid question. Who in here does not like running? It's okay. I don't blame you. No hard feelings, right? I, I get it, okay? But I love the sport of track and field. I was really competitive in high school. I was a sprinter. I ran the 100, the 200, the 4x1, the 4x4. Okay, all of the above, right? So my track career, it had its fair share of victories, but it also had plenty of mishaps, don't get me wrong, okay? So I'm from a relatively small town called Lathrop. And before you came to New Life, you are probably like, what's the Lathrop? Where's the Lathrop house in Lathrop and why is it Lathrop, okay? So Lathrop is a small town. It's probably about 30 to 45 minutes away from here. And our school did not have one of those fancy, synthetic, all-weather tracks like other schools had. You know what we had? We had a dirt track, the good old dirt track, right? The kind of track where if it rained, it'd get all muddy, and you'd either slip and fall and get dirt all over you, or you'd legitimately sink into the track and leave a spike trail wherever you went, okay? So it was not pretty, but we also had to do things the old school way. We had to make our own lanes using one of those chalk liner thingies you push around. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I remember this track meet we had my freshman year. Um, it was one of those days where it was super windy. You know how in the valley it gets kind of windy sometimes, like that wind that pushes you around? Yeah, it was one of those days. So here's freshman me. I'm getting ready to run the 200 meters. So the 200 is off the curb and it goes onto the straightaway. So I get to choose my lane. So I choose lane number five because theoretically you want to choose the middle lane in track because um, the curb is not too narrow, it's not too wide. Also, you can gauge your speed according to the runner in front of you and behind you, okay? So I am confident in my choice of lane number five, okay? So I am lined up with the other athletes and the gun goes off, I start running, okay? My head is in the game and soon enough, the athletes and coaches alike, they start to realize that chalk lanes and dirt track and wind, they don't mix, okay? So we have uh, this intersecting line at the curve. If you know what a track looks like, you, you kind of can picture it in your mind. So there's this like interaction that goes on and then some of the lanes start to morph into each other and it's like a big mess, okay? So I'm running off the curb, I'm so focused and I guess I'm too focused that I subconsciously, without even noticing, I merge into the lane to the left of me, basically cutting off a girl in real time, right? And I don't know what her reaction was. I don't know if she did the whole what the heck thing, or she gave me the bird, I really could not say. But um, anyway, so I'm running down the straightaway. I crossed the finish. I'm like, no one's in front of me, so I probably went. And I was like, yeah, in my head. I'm like, yeah, I won. And then my celebration comes to an abrupt end because the official, he walks over to me with a disapproving smirk for some reason, and he hands me a big fat DQ. Aww. And no, not a Dairy Queen blizzard, a disqualification. But no matter what race we ran in, in track, our coach always stressed the importance of the start. All right, it all started with the starting blocks. This is a starting block, this is a sprinter's best friend. So we drilled our block starts for at least an hour at every practice so that we can perfect it. Because if you could get your block start good, you could use explosiveness and acceleration to your advantage. So this is a really cool piece of equipment. You adjust it according to your stride length. You can even change the foot placement on this. 
It's really cool. Anyway, so the start is probably the thing that makes or break a race in the world of running. Because you're lined up with athletes side by side who have their eyes on the prize just like you. And you meticulously adjust your blocks, making sure it feels right. You take a few test runs. Okay, I'm good. And then um, the official says, time is up. So he says, on your marks. Okay, so now you really got to get in the zone. So you crouch down into the starting blocks. And there's dead silence on and off the track. Set. You're anticipating the firing of the gun while thoughts race through your head. You're like, oh my gosh, if I all start, I'm disqualified. Or if I'm not explosive enough, I'm like three strides ahead of the girl next to me. You know, in a competitive race, it was all about the start. And as a runner, you could not afford to make mistakes at the start if you wanted to win. The start. The start. Jesus views our start a little differently than the running world or even the world in general. It's because his redefining grace, it's grace redefines everything. There we go. I said it wrong. I saw it on my notes and I said it wrong, but I wanted to say it right because it's going to be right behind me. Anyway, so his grace redefines everything. Everyone say grace. Grace. All right, grace, grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his unconditional love, forgiveness, and mercy. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it nor deserve it. It's simply his grace, and it redefines everything. You see, there's this man in the Bible by the name of Paul. You might have heard of him. We're going to take a look at his story today and watch how the redefining grace of God unfolded in Paul's life. So if you would turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 9. And as you flip there, or as you put that on your phone, um, I'm going to give you some context on who Paul is. So Paul, his name is also Saul. So don't get confused. Paul is Saul. And Paul did not have a good start. Even though he was a well-educated man, he was very skillful, and he was privileged with the Roman citizenship, he was a passionate Jew who identified with a group called the Pharisees. And if you can recall... This is live, guys. This is not a video. This is literally live. My, my glasses are falling out. Okay, so he identified with the Pharisees. And if you can recall, the Pharisees were a group of Jews that despised Jesus. They were against Jesus and the work that he and his disciples did. All right? So this led Paul to spend all his efforts persecuting those who belong to Jesus. And just a couple of chapters before, we see him... Um, we see a man named Stephen, excuse me. So Stephen, he's witnessing on behalf of Jesus. He is doing the Lord's work. The crowd became so angry at Stephen that they decided to stone him. And this is that Paul was there at that very moment and that he approved of them killing Stephen. So Paul, he is not a good dude. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still reading out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here we have Paul. He's threatening to kill Christians. He asked for permission to search him out and take them away from their homes as prisoners. Let's continue in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So he received Jesus. Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus has resurrected from the grave at this point. Okay, He appears to Paul. What a miracle. He appears to Paul on his way to Damascus. Paul en route to pursue his wicked plan. He is stopped in his tracks and finds himself in the presence of God Almighty. We watch Jesus who meets him right where Paul is at. He convicts him of his sin and he led him to the next step. Alright, so now we're in Damascus. And there's this disciple named Ananias. And God calls Ananias and he intends to use him to restore Paul's sight. Because at this point, Paul is blind, right? But Ananias, he is hesitant, right? Makes sense. Yet God explains his divine plan for Paul in spite of what he's done. Let's continue in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Here we see Jesus. He pours his redefining grace over Paul and it radically changes his world. He went from persecuting people who belonged to Jesus to belonging to Jesus himself. By his redefining grace, Paul got to start over with Jesus at the forefront of his life. Continuing with verse 20, it says this. At once. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. At once. At once. Those words jump off the page. The redefining grace of Jesus changes the course of our lives at once. There's no turnaround time to receiving the grace that Jesus has for you because it's available to you in an instant. The story of Paul, it's a testimony of how God's grace applies to everyone. And he has the power. Everyone say power. Power. He has the power to use anyone. We might carry the attitude of Ananias. We might be hesitant, right? We might say, are you sure, God? After what I've done, after what I've been through, surely you want nothing to do with me. I've gone way too far. There's no way I can come back. You know, his answer is simply this. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace. Everyone say grace. grace. You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's a little context for you. Can you guess who wrote these verses? It was literally Paul. The Spirit used him, of all people, to communicate the death of God's grace because he could literally give an eyewitness account of it. 
Oftentimes, the grace of God, it does not make sense on paper. Yet his grace redefines everything, and Jesus is willing to meet us right where we're at. Remember how I said a few moments ago that if you start well, the more likely you are to finish well. Well, we've just taken a look at Paul. Did Paul have a great start? No. His start, he had a terrible start. Terrible block start, okay? But by God's grace, he got to start over, begin his race on the right track. Alright, maybe you're already a Christ follower. You're already out of the starting blocks. Here are three truths to live by. If we're going to live, we're going to run this race with Jesus at the forefront. Number one, keep the pace. Have you ever gone on a run with a group of people? You know, running with a partner can be encouraging because you push them, they push you, but it can also be equally challenging. I mean, you both have to keep the pace with each other. It's either you struggling to keep up with them or them struggling to keep up with you. You've got to slow down a bit. Well, I'm definitely the former rather than the latter. My body did not do well with distances, okay? And just a little side note, when me and my friends are done running, they're all like peppy and saying, yeah, that was a good run. I feel so refreshed. And here I am on the sidewalk, the curb, <laughs> trying to catch my breath. I'm all hunched over, struggling not to puke. You know, it's not pretty. So what does this look like in our lives? How do we keep the pace with Jesus? We got to keep in step with his spirit. Not ahead of him, certainly not behind him. We got to be in perfect sync with Jesus. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How does keeping in step with the Spirit look? Firstly, we got to abandon the flesh. Abandon the flesh. You see, God gives, gives us a clear and concise list of what we need to leave behind in Galatians 5.19 through 21. It says this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the like. I warn you, that could not be more clear. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Alright, so he says, I warn you, we abandon the desires of the flesh. Now what? Second, we need to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22-23 through 23 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not simply goals we should work towards for our future selves. We must actively pursue the fruit of His Spirit every day by denying ourselves taking up our cross daily. We need to also understand that it will be impossible, I'm telling you, impossible to live out the fruit of this spirit if the flesh still rolls, rolls over us. If you abandon the flesh, you wholeheartedly, uh, you wholeheartedly have given your life to Jesus, you have received his spirit inside you, and you are keeping in step with him, by God's redefining grace, you will be able to bear the fruit of his spirit in your own life. Everyone say amen. amen. All right, number two, the second truth. Remember what you're running towards. All right, so we got the pace down, but what are we running towards? Okay, so do you ever see a runner running their race 
and they have their head contorted the other way? No, me neither, because one, that looks weird. And two, where the head goes, the body follows. You can't go forward if you keep looking back, right? So what do we need to be running towards? The answer is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, this piece of scripture, it tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. To do that, we need to throw off everything that hinders. That means the distractions. That means the temptations. That means the discouragement of Satan himself. If you go, if you are going to live out God's best for you in your life, you best believe that Satan's going to try to do everything he can to entangle you. He's going to try to get a foothold in your life. He will even go so far as to bringing up your past. But how many of y'all know, when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you better remind him of his future. When the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you better remind him of his future. In verse number three, it says this. Consider him. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Through all the trials we may face in this race called life, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, we will not grow weary and lose heart. The third and final truth we're going to talk about today is we got to cross the finish line. We're running our hearts out, but what does the finish line look like? You know, second to crossing the finish line, the most enjoyable and fulfilling part of a race is the awarding of medals. All right, so take the Olympics, for example. The top three athletes in the world, they are on the podium. They're being celebrated while their home country flags are being raised behind them. And the winner's national anthem is actually played. And what a triumphant moment, right? Well, here's what's waiting for us at our finish line. This is the triumphant moment that is promised in 2 Timothy 4, through 7, 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. At the finish line is the crown of righteousness. This is the gold medal. When we get to heaven, not only will we receive this award, but we get to hear the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, say to us, Well done. Good and faithful servant. Oh, what a day that will be. How we should long to see Jesus. Amen. You know, I said at the beginning of my message, if you start well, the more likely you are to finish well. Let's move away from that mindset. Because of the redefining grace of Jesus, we can say with confidence that it's not about how you start. It's about how you get closer for Kentucky, and I just don't know. Sorry, Ashley. That's all right. 
your appetite a little. Get us a sneak peek. Anyways, arguably the most challenging yet rewarding race in track and field is the 400. That's one full lap around the track. Take that race, times it by four, you get the four by four. The race of all races is what they call it. You know, there's a reason why they save the best race for last at every track meet, because it's often the tiebreaker on which team wins the meet. So to run the 400, you need a lot of grit. You need a lot of endurance. You need a lot of patience to wait till the end and to give it your all for the quarter of the mile in one minute or less, right? So in track and field, we talked about how the block start, how it's vital to the runner's race, okay? But it is certainly not the end all be all. Because in the running world, there's this thing called a finishing kick. You can see it happen in almost every 400 meter race. A runner could be in last the whole entire race. They can be trailing, pushing, straining, fighting through the pain. And they are just waiting for the right moment to bring it home. And then the person who's leading the entire time, they're suddenly not in first anymore because the person behind them, they come out and they cross the finish line first. It's a beautiful picture of perseverance. And I would love to share an example of that with you guys today. Kayla Clark, and closer for Kentucky, and I just don't know if Purdue is going to get caught. No, there's no way it's going to let them drop the baton. Purdue's going to win this, which we should have been able Here comes that seat. USC, first half, and catch Purdue on offense. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Look what was just happening. USC wins the women's Maybe you are in last place. You know, I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's trauma from a past relationship. It's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain that seems unending. Maybe it's depression and anxiety that keeps eating away at you. Maybe it's a struggle with an addiction. Maybe you just simply feel lost. You know, some of y'all don't even know who I am and we have yet the chance to meet, but I know that God has sent me here for a reason, to remind you that it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. You know, the world says this, you are broken, you can never be loved, you are alone, you are worthless. This is what Jesus says. I love you so much that I gave my life for you. It's not too late. No matter your age, your stage of life, your background, I am right here. I'm standing here with open arms. I am chasing after you. You just gotta turn around and see me. My grace is sufficient for you. Nothing is too far gone to come back to me. Nothing is too weak for me to empower. Nothing is too broken for me to restore. Nothing is too lost for me to find. Nothing is too chained up for me to break the chains and bring freedom. Nothing is too dead for me to bring back to life. Jesus says, Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. One of the most special things about track is that for the most part, it's an individual sport. Each athlete is accountable to themselves and them alone. Life is the same way. We're each accountable for ourselves. You can't count on someone to carry you to the finish line. You gotta take steps to get there yourself. With that being said, you can't compare your race to the person next to you. Everyone's race looks different. But one thing that does not change from person to person is how you win. Church, the only way you can win the crown is if your race starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. I would be remiss if I did not give you this opportunity to give Jesus your life, to profess with all your heart that he is Lord. Because how could you possibly run and finish a race if you haven't even started? If you grew up in the church and you became a Christian as a child and you have been living and serving God for all the days of your life so far, hallelujah, praise God, that is a beautiful thing. If you just met Jesus today and you're going to make the choice, you're going to make the decision to be a born-again Christian today. And you're going to give your life to the Lord and decide to serve Him all the days of your life. Praise God. Hallelujah. That is equally beautiful. If you gave your life to Jesus years ago, but you've walked away from Him since, by His supernatural, redefining grace, there is still beauty left in the destruction. There's still healing on the other side of pain. There's still restoration regardless of your past. Start over today by giving your life back over to Him. I'd like to ask everyone to please close your eyes. No one looking around. In a moment, we're going to pray the prayer of salvation to you know, there's no magic in my words. What matters is your heart and if you truly believe it. It doesn't matter if this is your first time or your hundredth time praying this prayer. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and today you are choosing to walk in his redefining grace, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And make me new. Fill me with your spirit. So that I can walk with you. All the days of my life. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for new life. In Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You can open your eyes. Praise God. The Bible says that when one sinner turns away from their sinful ways and gives their heart to Jesus, there's a celebration going on in heaven. If you had a bad start out of the blocks, if you were trailing, if you were behind, you were straining, you were breaking down, losing the form, the odds of winning may have seemed impossible.
But because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you, the runner, now have a chance. Church, no matter how you started, do not walk off the track. You better keep the pace. You better hold on to the end and cross that finish line. But above all else, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me pray with y'all. God, thank you for your redefining grace that completely changes everything. Thank you that no matter what we've done in the past, no matter where we've been, you still lovingly accept us into your arms and make us completely new. Now that we've given you our lives, we pray that you would remind us to deny ourselves by abandoning our flesh and to take up our cross daily, faithfully living out the fruit of your spirit. Help us to keep in step with you, fixing our eyes on you and finish strong. Thank you for your hope that transcends generations, the hope that only you alone can offer. Starting right now, God, we ask that you give us the perseverance to run the race well, starting and finishing with you at the forefront. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory for everything you've done tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Praise God. Hi, I'm Brian, the online campus pastor and network operations pastor here at New Life Church. Thanks for choosing to join us today. Now, before you go, I just wanted to let you guys know a couple of things. Every single night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we host a live prayer on our Facebook page, New Life Church CA. And we'd love for you guys to join us in digitally praying for other new lifers and needs across the globe. Now, if you have a prayer request that you would like to be included in that live prayer video, you can visit www.newlifeca.church slash prayer. Also, if you're looking for more ways to get connected to the New Life Church Network, you can visit www.newlifeca.church slash connect and start a conversation with one of the pastors here on staff at New Life Church. And last but not least, if the ministries here at New Life Church have impacted you in a positive way and you feel the Spirit of God moving in you to financially partner with New Life, you can go to newlifeca.church slash give and securely give a one time or recurring gift. Just select what campus you attend and how much you'd like to give and follow the prompts the rest of the way. It's a really, really easy process. All right, new lifers, we'll see you again soon.